This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of Scholarly, the podcast brought to you by the ATS Scholar Journal and the ATS Section on Medical Education. I'm your podcaster, Deepak Pradhan, a pulmonary critical care attending at New York University and associate program director here. And today I'll be interviewing Dr. Julia Probert on her recent ATS Scholar View from the Learner article entitled Graduating Early in the Time of COVID-19. Julia was a senior medical student at NYU Grossman School of Medicine in New York, planning for a residency in psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital, aka Man's Greatest Hospital, who chose to graduate early from medical school to join the fight during the COVID pandemic. And she's here to elaborate on her experiences. Julia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Julia, can you start out by just telling us a little bit about your background so we get to know you a little bit more and uh, you know, maybe that'll help frame our discussion today? Sure. Uh, I'm originally from Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm not a native New Yorker. And I lived a, a couple of different places before in New York, before coming to medical school. I took a slightly circuitous path into medicine. Uh, I studied psychology and women's studies in college and Worked for a while after college as a community organizer and in the nonprofit world in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, at a great anti-hunger organization called Project Red, for those who are looking for places to put their donations right now. Uh, can't recommend them enough. And then I moved into the world of psychology and psychiatry, doing some research at a public hospital in Massachusetts. And during that time, that was when I realized that medicine was probably the correct path for what I wanted to do and for how I wanted to take care of people. Uh, so I, I went on to do a post-bac program and down in Baltimore and then uh, hung out there for a little while doing some research in the world of ICU outcomes, uh, particularly related to delirium. Then after that, I came up to New York for, for med school at NYU and uh, it was a great four years that has just come to an end. <laughs> bittersweet, I'm sure. Very bittersweet, yes. So let's start at the beginning of this. So, you know, tell us how you found out that this was actually an option, that you could graduate early and start caring for COVID patients immediately as a physician. Sure. So there's definitely a little bit of buzz uh, amongst our class regarding whether this would be an option. Uh, my classmates and I knew that in Italy and other places that were facing surges similar to the one expected in New York in the spring, uh, medical students had begun working early, either in the capacity as full physicians or in some other capacity in the hospital. So we sort of had some idea that that might be an option. And then uh, our dean, who's a wonderful wonderful leader, uh, Dean Tewksbury at NYU, emailed out to let us know that it would be an option uh, if enough of us were interested. So the initial ask was sort of just, uh, is this something you would consider, yes or no? And if there is a quorum, then we will potentially move forward. And so this initial ask was over kind of an email forum? Or? It was, yes. I was sitting uh, actually where I'm sitting right now at my desk <laughs> and uh, received this email uh, again, not totally unexpected, but definitely uh, sort of hammered home the idea that what was happening was very serious because 
this was not a, a normal thing to happen and, and it was being treated as very abnormal and, and rightfully so. So not that anyone who was living in New York at the time needed a reminder that life was not typical, but it was a very stark reminder. Right. It kind of brought it home all of a sudden to your door, essentially. Exactly. And, you know, what were your first thoughts? What was running through your mind when you were contemplating this option? Was it just an easy no-brainer given your past or was it, did you have some doubts or concerns? Uh, yes, to all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a no-brainer in a lot of ways in that uh, I feel so emotionally connected to NYU and to Bellevue Hospital in particular as a site where I've trained and uh, where I've made so many meaningful personal connections. And so uh, if they were asking for help, there was really no question about if I would say yes. Um, that said, it was accompanied by a pretty sizable skepticism that I would be able to help. Uh, you know, some combination of imposter syndrome and reality, uh, <laughs> a pre-July intern essentially uh, is not necessarily the person you want in a crisis. And so thinking about the balance between wanting to help and if helping would be even, if I would be helping essentially. And, uh, and I think, again, I kind of trust in our leadership at NYU. And so if they said that we would be helpful, I believe them, uh, even though I maybe had some personal doubts about my own abilities. And I also, you know, sh it should go without saying, but, but maybe not, I had a very a uh, significant amount of fear and anxiety about contracting coronavirus. Uh, like many people who live in New York, I had many friends become ill with COVID, some of whom were gravely and critically ill. And so uh, the risk was not ephemeral. It was very real and it, it lived with me every day uh, as it did for most New Yorkers. So understanding that it would become a lot more likely that I would get sick if I was in the hospital than not. Um, Took a little bit of, took a little bit of time to sit with that decision, uh, and and come to terms with really what it meant. No, great point. I mean, uh, you know, we were actually seeing our own friends or families or healthcare workers who were getting ill, and particularly some of which who were our ages as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that brought again it, it very much to to our cognition about that this is a real possibility for any of us, right? And so what was it that actually? Uh, kind of forced you over that threshold and said, you know, go ahead and embrace this opportunity? Uh, I think it's related to all the things I just mentioned, really, but the idea that if I know people who are getting sick, people, as you point out, who are my age, who are like me, you know, who, who would I want there with them in the hospital? Um, my friends and family, what would I want someone to do for them? And I think the answer is, is someone who does it even though they're afraid and, and isn't necessarily um, stopped by fear. Uh, and so feeling that I'm capable of doing that, that I'm sort of capable of being brave in that setting, I felt it was appropriate uh, because a lot of people had reasons for saying no. You know, some people have children and childcare was an issue. And some of my classmates had health concerns or, or family members with health concerns. And so uh, being in a somewhat privileged position of feeling myself capable of being that brave <laughs> and also uh, being at sort of a, a safer level of risk at baseline. Yeah, so it sounds like you really felt a call to action or something that you had to do, you know, and rise up for. So great. Um, and then when you first started, so you graduate early, start caring for COVID patients. 
what were your first impressions, you know, when you were in that kind of clinical environment? It's a great question and not one that I have actually done much reflection on. It, it happened <laughs> very fast and it just sort of was what it was. You know, there wasn't a lot of room for thinking about how how I was feeling. <laughs> but the, uh, the clinical setting, as you know, was very atypical. Uh, the hospital, I was at Bellevue Hospital, um, which did not feel like it normally does in, in most ways. Uh, you know, our, our elective procedures were canceled and our space looked pretty different, but uh, I was on floors I'd never, I didn't even know existed, uh, which now held our, our coronavirus or COVID cases. Yeah, there, there were floors that didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> right, the directions to patients' rooms were often like, you're gonna see what looks like construction, but just walk <laughs> past it, keep going. <laughs> uh, and there were patients there, so I found them. Uh, but the one thing that was the same was my team and my, my feeling of being on the team with my residents. My intern, I, ha I was on a two intern team, so I was the third intern joining two intern team and we had an attending who's not usually a medicine attending they have a different job normally so uh, it was a, a bit of a, a feeling of camaraderie that we were all jumping into something that was out of the ordinary but that feeling of sort of being there with your residents is the same um, no matter what which is that you're in it together and you'll figure it out Definitely. and did you find that the you know you had enough support in terms of from your other other individuals that I'm, were there yeah, tons of support. Luckily, I'm very fortunate in that regard. And, and I think it's sort of all of a piece, you know, I don't think I would have volunteered if I didn't already know that uh, everyone I was working with was going to look out for me and, and I would look out for them and uh, we would help each other get through it. Um, so many of the doctors I worked with were not medicine doctors. They were of other specialties and they have knowledge from spaces that is really foreign to a lot of the people who were taking care of coronavirus patients. And as they brought that knowledge, you know, they also required a lot of support in terms of just the daily functioning of a medicine floor. And so people bringing together their disparate, you know, uh, areas of expertise was really powerful and, and fun, frankly, even if the wasn't always fun, <laughs> but that part. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, I had similar experiences with, you know, we were rounding with uh, neurologists and anesthesia and just lots of different people from different walks of life and different also volunteers from other uh, institutions. And so it made it very kind of a rich environment to, to, to work in for patient care. Um, now, what was your role? Like, in other words, that did you function as essentially like a, a medical student? Did you feel like that was your role or, you know, were you functioning at a more like at the intern level role or higher. <laughs> it was a little unclear at the beginning. Uh, we had sort of been told in a, in a comforting way, you're not going to have to do anything that um, you don't want to do and that you don't feel ready to do. But then you show up and, and people have such a high level of acuity and of illness. And there are so many twists and turns throughout the day, you know, people taking turns for the worst that you don't necessarily expect that, Sometimes you were, I felt put into positions where I had to help, even if I didn't really know how. Um, and I don't know that that's that different from any other intern year. I think that it seems like that's mostly what intern year feels like. So maybe it was just a head start on that process. Um, but yes, I had a list. I had patients that were sort of my 
patients and I staffed them with my attending, my attending, uh, who is not really an attending, attending in quotes. <laughs> right, yeah. everybody went up, uh, you know, pay grade. <laughs> a battlefield promotion, as they say. Right. Um, but she was great and, and very helpful. And my interns uh, really taught me the ropes in terms of typical intern stuff, you know, epic questions and uh, how to get things from the pharmacy, etc. And, you know, we were learning things that seemed uh, on daily basis, uh, weekly basis, and our patterns changed. And so what were your experiences as time went on? Did you get more comfortable in the environment? How did you view things uh, over time? I remember my first day, uh, one of the patients that was signed out to me was signed out as very stable and just on a protracted wall O2 wean and uh, just to sort of check it on her and turn the oxygen down every once in a while and, and see how she was doing. So it was sort of a, a comfortable patient, not not someone to worry about. And we had been told, the the junior interns, as we were called, the, my, my classmates, were told that we could pre-round over the phone if we wanted to, if we wanted to call patients' cell phones in their, they had cell phones in their rooms and see how they were doing over the phone rather than see them in person, we could do that. And so on my first day, I figured, let's try that. Let's see how it goes. So I called this patient, this very stable patient, who at the time, actually, she had a non-rebreather and um, a non-rebreather mask. And she was talking, made her pretty dyspneic and talking actually made her desaturate. But I didn't find any of that out over the phone. You know, we had a very limited conversation and I really had a hard time understanding her through all of that. And so I kind of hung up the phone and said, I'm not gonna do this. And uh, went and put on my PPE and went into the room and, and talked to her. And the difference was so stark, the difference between trying to gather that information and, and not being able to, and then just sort of being able to easily do it in person. And also the difference in how you feel about your patients and probably how they feel about you, you know, how uh, I was able to know her, really know her and, and talk about how things were going and discover that she had like a pretty significant amount of anxiety about this course of illness and, and her future and her prognosis. So uh, I very rapidly abandoned the idea that I wouldn't see people and I spent a good amount of time taking care of patients in their rooms and over my four weeks at Bellevue, everyone sort of wound up making that move in that direction if they weren't already, as things became a little bit more familiar. Um, I was fortunate to be on the downslope, working on the downslope. I, I know on the upslope, it sort of went the other way that people, the changes moved in the other direction as people tried to figure out how to mitigate risk as much as possible. So I feel pretty lucky in terms of my own experience that uh, my adjustments were all sort of towards comfort and not away from it. Oh, that's fantastic. You raised so many good points in there of, you know, the importance of, you know, bedside care, of seeing your patient, you know, that all the stuff in Epic or all the stuff there, you know, the, the vitals and this, that, it's, uh, you know, it's pales in comparison to actually seeing them be dysnic you know, with air hunger, desaturating, those types of things can be missed, you know, when it's just a, a physical chart. And then also the connection to, you know, of both of the caregiver to the patient that it's natural that we become more enthralled. We become, we have a connection to them when we're taking care of them, we can see them. And then also the other side of things that they get to see who their caregivers are as well. So yeah, I think those are really powerful actually points that you make. And 
you know, I think as you kind of reflect, or I don't know if you've had time to, to really reflect over the whole experience, but what are your takeaways? What do you think that you're going to take with you as you move forward as a physician? I think there's a mixture of clinical lessons and maybe more life lessons. Um, clinically, I think I, for the first time and, and maybe for the last time, but probably not, became more comfortable with the idea that stable patients can die. Uh, and it's not necessarily because anyone did anything wrong or anything was missed. It, it just sort of sometimes is the course of things. And so I think that's something all of us who worked with coronavirus patients and continue to work with coronavirus patients came to see really quickly. Uh, it happened more than I would like to admit. So uh, I think I will remember that and, and whether I will sort of overvalue that idea or, or appropriately value that idea, I'm not yet sure, but uh, I think it will be at least a little useful either way, particularly because coronavirus is not necessarily going anywhere anytime fast, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, and then I think personally, I have learned an interesting lesson, which is that I was very worried about the match. I was very worried about where I would go for residency, <laughs> if I was going to pick the right program, and if um, they would pick me back, and how it would all work out, and how I would navigate moving, and all of that. And and what I was not worried about was, you know, a global catastrophe. <laughs> so, and that's the thing that happened. You know, I, I matched where I wanted to match, and that all worked out. But um, this other thing came up. And so sort of a sense of time being fleeting uh, and that you, know, you never know what's right around the corner. And also that your anxiety is not necessarily useful <laughs> always. Sometimes it is and sometimes it helps you, but sometimes it makes you focus on the wrong things. And so uh, it's a hard, a hard one lesson, but one I hope I hang on to. Fantastic. So kind of giving you some, you know, perspective on kind of global, globally in terms of your life and the greater parts. And then uh, also just, yeah, the humbling, you know, part of, of coronavirus, you know, uh, and, and the fact that a lot of what we do is supportive in nature and supporting them and, uh, and trying to do the kind of the best practices that we can. Yeah, great points. And so I guess if you could go back in time, would you do it all over again? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I would, I think I would think about it even less, actually. Yeah, right, exactly. When there was all that uncertainty and, and whatever was going through your head at that time, but now knowing with all the things you've gained from it. Fantastic. And uh, I guess kind of on the couple more questions I had for you, one was, what was graduation like? You know, did you have a formal graduation? What happened there? I'm actually very pleased to discuss my graduation. I feel very proud of my graduation. We had a, a sort of impromptu WebEx graduation right before we started, the 52 classmates who, who graduated early. So 52 out of, I think, like 130, something like that. So uh, it was a smaller group and a lot of people who I happen to be close with and, and friends with. I guess it makes sense that we would, you'd be more likely to graduate early if your friends were, probably. Um, and uh, our faculty were very uh, helpful and, and really shared some wisdom with us over that WebEx. And it was very uh, chaotic and not formal. <laughs> so the WebEx was very, a lot of feedback and the video didn't really work for a period of time. Uh, but it felt very appropriate for the situation, which was that um, we weren't, we were giving up a lot uh, in choosing to give up our 
sort of time off uh, or whatever you would call the end of fourth year of medical school time off, I think is appropriate. <laughs> and uh, we were giving up time with our families and, and um, you know, the ability to, to not be exposed. And so uh, it was appropriate that it wasn't a nice graduation necessarily. It felt right for the moment and uh, it felt at least unique and like a good story, uh, which are important to me. And then I had a, a real graduation also over Zoom or WebEx. Uh, by that time I had finished working and I uh, had sort of left the city uh, and been moving more towards starting my quote unquote real residency. <laughs> uh, so that was also nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that, right, that word encompasses quite a lot of what's happened is messy. <laughs> messy graduation. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, the Zoom stuff, the WebEx, all these types of things, yeah. everybody's getting, ha having, forced to get much more uh, used to using this type of technology for remote types of interactions and learnings and so forth uh, going forward. So, Certainly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a big piece of all of our future, so. Yeah. Um, so anything else that you want to share with listeners about your experiences? Anything else that you want to leave them with? Uh, yes, actually. So uh, I don't know how many residents listen to this podcast. I would assume quite a few, uh, <laughs> sort of geared towards trainees. So I hope that they're listening. And I, I hope guess so too. <laughs> <laughs> my message to those residents would be, you know, as a student, you you were my teachers and my confidants. And, and so, you know, you can assume your med students feel that way about you right now. They look up to you and you're an inspiration to them. So, you know, when it came time to choose to help or not, I, I didn't necessarily think about patients. I thought about residents. I thought about those people who had been so important to my training and so important to my personal development and who really had, had become my friends. And so um, that's who came to mind and I'm happy I was there and I got to spend some time helping them or, or with them at the very least before I left and uh, repay some small piece of that debt. So uh, if you're a resident and you're listening, uh, remember that that's how your med students feel about you and I guess cherish that and act appropriately or uh, enjoy that relationship. Wow, very fantastic. And, and I should just end right there but I still have one more last question, yeah. which is probably the most important question, which Please. is any chance you've seen the light and are willing to toss aside psychiatry for a life of internal <laughs> medicine and, of course, pulmonary critical care? Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, my husband is a, is a pulmonary critical care doctor, actually, so I hear this quite often, uh, this pitch. But uh, I look forward to working in the ICU as a consult psychiatrist. I'll put it to you like that. I should, have, I should have used reverse psychology and said, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to go into pulmonary critical care. All right, I'll, I'll change next, you know, I'll learn. learn. Yeah, for next time. <laughs> next time. All right. Um, so I think we'll end the podcast on that note. Uh, Dr., Dr. Julia Probert discussing her experiences graduating early to fight the good fight during the COVID pandemic. Julia, I, I believe I speak for everyone out there. Thank you for your service during this crisis, and I wish you best of luck in future endeavors. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. And to our podcast listeners, uh, Dr. Probert's uh, article on graduating early in the time of COVID-19 is available on the ATS Scholar website at atsjournals.org. Otherwise, stay tuned for more scholarly podcasts coming soon. 
And don't forget to subscribe to Scholarly, Scholarly on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast player you prefer. And uh, until then, much like the courage displayed by Dr. Pervert, I leave you with a line from the courageous investigative reporter Edward R. Murrow. Good night and good luck. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs>